This is the Action Network Podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. What's up, everybody, and welcome once again to the Action Network Podcast presented by Bet MGM, and once again, the Golf Edition. I'm Jason Sobel from Golf Bet. He is Justin Ray, the head of content for the 15th Club, and we will get to the Honda Classic coming up this week, which uh, this is one for the betters. This, this one's going to be fun. Last week was one for the fans. This is one where you got to dig deep. You might not know all the names you're picking, but it's going to be fun to bet on. We're going to do our five questions. We're going to make our DFS lineup. But first, let's review this past weekend. Jay Ray, how you doing? And man, that JT guy, I guess he's pretty good at golf, huh? Pretty good. Yeah, doing well. It was a great week of golf, even if you didn't pick any winners going into it. Um, just as a fan, just such an exciting week. You know, it's a great, great golf course. Conditions were awesome. To have Lee Westwood in the mix again was a great story. And then the, just the absolute clinic JT put on on the weekend to put some perspective on how good his ball striking was. He had the best strokes gain tee to green weekend ever at TPC Sawgrass since they started tracking it almost mm. 20 years ago. So just absolutely lit it up. Great finish. A lot of guys in the mix coming down the stretch. The big golfer nearly going back to back. Bryson, a uh, lot of fun. And I hear you did pretty well, my friend. I had a decent week. I will say that my guess is some number close to 100% of the people listening to this podcast right now have some usual action on the PGA Tour events. It, look, it if you don't usually have action and you're just like, hey, I like golf and I like listening to what you guys talk about and listening to your picks everywhere. I, look, we're not going to blame that. you. Two incredibly That's, charming men. Very knowledgeable. Very you know, funny. We're, we're, you know, we're great. We look, te- we look terrific on a podcast uh, as long as you don't have to look at us. But right. I, I'm guessing most people have some action. So I, I'm preaching to the choir here. But um, after going through a very sweaty Saturday and Sunday myself, uh, the people who are watching golf on the weekends, and no offense, really, I, I mean no offense to the fans out there, and there are millions of them who are watching on any given weekend just, you know, to see what's happening and just to see those little white balls flying through the air and going into the hole. If you're doing it without having any action, you're completely doing it wrong. Because having a sweat on the weekend of a PGA Tour event is the most exhilarating slash most dreadful experience you can have while sitting on your couch watching TV. It's fun, isn't it? Especially oh. when you come out on the right side of it. I had JT to top five. I had Bryson to top five. I gave out those two on the gimme last week. So I was pretty happy with how it was going. Uh, went, it went pretty well. I didn't have any big-time winning teams like you may have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, anytime you've got that going into it, it just adds another level to it, doesn't it? Just another layer of intensity that you've got from a viewing perspective. And on the other end, too, like I work with Sky Sports every weekend, and I'm grinding away looking things up. And at the same time, I'm like, yeah, Bryson with the Eagle at 16. I'm going to get – I'm a you know, so it, there's a there's a back and forth where you try to keep your professionalism and stuff. And, you know, at the same time, you're fired up when uh, one of your picks uh, makes you a little return on the back end for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I know some people listening right now are going to go, Sobel, what the hell? You didn't have a sweat going. You had picked Patrick Cantley to win this thing last week. I, I want to clarify because, first of all, yes, I will own it. My favorite play outright last week was Patrick Cantley. Now, if you're – basically just taking one favorite play this week and taking him outright and go, that's it. That's my play for the week. I'm done. Fingers crossed. Hope he wins. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I know people who go, Hey, you know what? I'm going to put down 20 bucks. I'm going to pick one guy. That's my guy for the week. I'm going to ride with him. I'm probably going to lose, but maybe once in a while I have a little sweat and I have something to watch on Sunday. Eh, That's fine. I, I am hedging all over the place. And whether it's with the bets. I did have a couple of JT tickets going into the week last week. Um, whether you're picking guys up along the way, hey, it's mid-Friday and, you know, this guy, ball strike numbers look pretty good. I'm going to throw a little live outright on him. Whether it's a weekend and single-round DFS contest, oh, well, that, that, you know, can make someone nice little profit, nice little ROI. Uh, I speak from experience there. So, yeah, I mean, there are different ways of doing this where it's not just, hey, I heard your pick and your pick wasn't good. I had a couple of people on Twitter say, 
Oh, nice pick with Cantley last week. I guess you really crapped the bed with, you know, I'm like, yeah, okay. I, yes, I picked Cantley. Doesn't mean, though, that just because your number one favorite pick of the week doesn't win, doesn't even make the cut, that you can't turn a profit that week. You can make ROI. If you, you can get some money back on it if you mix it up a little bit. For example, Sunday morning, I knew I had Bryson top five. I knew I had JT top five. I had some good action going with a couple DFS teams. But just in case the impossible happened, I threw five bucks on Doug Gamut, like 80 to one to win Why you know, not? on Sunday morning. Why sure. not? Because we've seen all Craig Perks won the Players' Championship in his debut. You know, why not? Doug Gim's a former number one ever in the world. What if he goes out, has the day of his life, shoots 67, wins the golf tournament? I don't know. Could happen. It didn't, but it only cost me $5. So, you know, whatever. Like, you know, I'm not throwing anything away on it. But you got to have a little multiple irons in the fire, you know. It gives you a little more to look forward to. I, I love making those plays. I mean, I, I guess the – well, the smartest play would have just been JT, but I think there would have been a smart play on Corey Connors. Uh, you know, Brian Harmon, somebody like that going into Sunday where you're sitting there, hey, okay, I didn't win, but at the end of the day, man, that was really fun. Uh, like my guy was in it for a good solid three hours. I was watching the leaderboard, watched him on TV. I had a little sweat. That was worth it for me to throw five bucks on him and, and get something out of it. And even you doing that with Doug Gim, okay, so Doug Gim didn't win. You're not mad at Doug Gim right now. Like, man, I could have won so much money if you would – just, you know, uh, all you had to do was shave 12 strokes off your final round score. I could have won this thing. Come on, man. Yeah. Speaking of being in it till the end, Lee Westwood again for a second week in a row right there knocking on the door of what would have been an enormous victory. I mean, this week would have been probably, you know, the biggest victory of his career. I don't think yeah. you can dispute that. Yeah. Um, so the, my number here to give you context on Westwood, 54 hole leader in back-to-back weeks. 15 guys have done that in back-to-back weeks on the PGA Tour over the last 15 years. 12 of them won at least once. So only three of them didn't win at all. Mm-hmm. Lee, Daniel Summerhays in 2013, who did it like Barbasol and John Deere, and Jordan Spieth earlier this year. It's wow. very rare that it happens where a guy has the 54 lead in back-to-back weeks, but even more rare that he doesn't break through with a victory in either one of them. So just a heartbreaking defeat. But at the same time, a feel-great story. Lee Westwood's back in the top 20 in the world. His ball striking is as good as maybe this stretch, as good as I've ever seen. A guy I've, you know, I've had the pleasure of following my entire career. Um, you know, he would have been the oldest European PGA Tour winner. Um, our 15th club numbers have him as a – he's most likely going to be on the European Ryder Cup team, mm-hmm. which is an amazing story because if he makes the Ryder Cup team at 48, he's older than each of the last five European Ryder Cup captains. Wow. Which is crazy. So um, just it's, it's tough that he didn't win. I know that it would have been a great story if he did, but it, you know, it almost fits the narrative better for Westwood that he didn't. You know, yeah. it just kind of fits perfectly with his career. The man has the most top three finishes without a major championship win in the history of the sport. So uh, it, it, it's tough to feel terrible about watching Lee the last two weeks, but at the same time, I, if you're a big-time Lee Westwood fan or if you had a ticket on him going into this week or even last, I feel for you. I echo pretty much everything you just said there about Lee Westwood. Um, yes, feel bad for anyone who's sitting on a Westwood ticket to win over the last couple of weeks. I mean, really, a couple of putts roll the right way or the wrong way for him or a couple other guys, and he's looking at back-to-back victories at Bay Hill and TBC Sawgrass. We're like, oh, my God, Lee Westwood's a top-five golfer in the world again. I look at him. And so it just – he he just got so close. I get the sense from Lee that he's not too broken up about it. I think some other guys would see some heartbreak in that, some pessimism. Uh, Lee's living his best life right now. He absolutely is. I think is. he won $2.5 million the last two weeks. Yeah. And I read today, Monday, when we're recording this, that he went to Augusta National and played golf with his son. He did. Lee's doing all right. He's going to have – he had a nice glass of red Sunday night, maybe two or three. Maybe. Man's, the man's in a good spot. He, he is living a good life right now. I will say this much, and I don't want to – look, I don't want to rain on the Lee Westwood parade that's going on, but I tweeted about Lee after the final round on Sunday. I said, man, hell of a two weeks, put on a great show. And I had at least 10, 12 tweeters reply with already – getting my Westwood ticket ready for the masters in a couple of weeks. Whoa, slow down. Now I love what he's done over the last few weeks. I love how he's played. I don't think he's necessarily going anywhere. 
I would think that this is probably the peak of what Lee Westwood could do over the past couple of weeks. Yeah. I think I, that he's yeah. going to continue this for a few more weeks after this. I just, I'm not sure I see anything better than necessarily what we've seen from Lee Westwood. He said the most greens in regulation the last two weeks of any player leads all the last two weeks. He leads in par four scoring. I just don't know if it's something he can maintain at this age, just numbers wise as an analytics statistics guy, this is what I do. There's going to be a drop off eventually. It might not come this week. There are some things that go into PGA national where he's playing again. Amazingly three straight weeks in the U S which you almost never see Lee Westwood play. He's got a nice history at, at PGA nationals career behind the classic. This is a tournament that really favors really good iron play, which is what has been exemplary for him the last couple of weeks. So maybe it continues and we have another week, 48 year old contending for 12 straight rounds on the PGA tour. That's tough to ask for, but um, I don't know. You may not, the value may not be there in terms of the number um, in terms of, you know, betting to win or top 10, but he could have some more success this week. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Uh, and we'll get into what we like for the Honda in just a couple of minutes sure. here. Uh, any last thoughts? I, I thought TBC Sawgrass was great. I got into an argument with Michael Collins on hitting the green or our, our radio show on Sirius XM PGA tour channel that uh, he thought, it wasn't fair to the players that the course played so differently from one round to the next. And my contention was that's exactly what it should do. Give, give them a hard day, then give them an easy day, then give them a sort of medium day, then give them another hard day. Like, I just love the fact that based on how they set up the golf course, it can change what the overall scoring average is um, just based on some pin placements and some other, you know, maybe where the tee boxes are just a little bit. I, I love the fact that this is an outdoor sport he played different on a daily basis and we're not doing this in a dome with the same dimensions every single time. For sure. And I think that's inherent to the genius of the Pete Dye design of that golf course is that you can do a lot of different things from a setup perspective that generates different needs of skills and approach shots and different things you got to see around the greens. And um, I thought it was great. I thought it was terrific to see that kind of variance and unpredictability. The biggest thing I took away, I know he didn't win the golf tournament, but Bryson DeChambeau nearly won with an absolutely average strokes gained off the tee performance. He was not very good tee to green on the weekend, and he nearly won the golf tournament. Saturday, he putted out of his mind. He was second in the field in strokes gained putting. He lost strokes to the field on Sunday. If he just gains maybe half a stroke on the field with his putter, he might have been in a playoff with Justin Thomas. And I think that's something to really take away moving forward is that, you know, this guy is a complete player. It's not just somebody who hits the ball a long way. This isn't happy Gilmore 2.0 or anything. This is a dude who is skilled through the bag and he's going to be a force to be reckoned with at any golf course he goes to. I tweeted it on Sunday, said a lot of people have been chasing after a lot of players been chasing after Bryson's speed and distance. Maybe they go chase after his putting stroke. I mean, and I think you tweeted it as well that Bryson leads the PGA tour in par three scoring average, doesn't he? He does. Correct. Uh, I mean, I just, if you're not seeing what the whole complete picture looks like, you're just not looking. Uh, you just want to look at, oh, man, he, he crushes it off the tee. Yeah, but look, long drive guys can go out to TBC Sawgrass. Uh, they're not challenging for the title out there. They're not winning at Bay Hill just because they hit the ball far. You've got to have a complete game, and he does indeed have that. And I've sung this pre- – this, you know, I've been the choir on this before, but in terms of – you know, we talk about the explosiveness off the tee in terms of the driver, but I think – Maybe the even bigger benefit is that Bryson can hit nine iron when other guys are hitting six out of the rough. And that's what, that's what he won with at Wingfoot was his ability to hit the ball higher with more trajectory and land it in better spots on the green and have more birdie opportunities when he missed the fairway. Whereas, you know, if Lee Westwood is hitting six iron out of the fairway and Bryson is hitting nine iron out of the rough, Bryson is going to have a better average proximity of the hole than Lee Westwood is. Right. It's just, the nature of it. And that's the, one of the big advantages in terms of his distance that I don't think it's talked about enough. We love to talk about the driver and, you know, Oh, he hit this one three forty off the tee or he carried the water at Bay Hill, or whatever it might be. The bigger picture thing for me is his ability to do that. Hitting the shorter irons out of the rough with higher loft that he's able to land and get into position to make more birdies. Last thing we pour before we move on to the five questions, then get into our Honda breakdown. Have you ever seen a two minute span, especially in a final round of a big event, that featured a shank, a top, and a slice. Brendan Todd almost hit the Flower Island. 
What do you do? Can, can you get like, out there? I, that's the question that everyone was asking. I was waiting for you to have the answer to that. I have, I have no numbers on that. I don't know <laughs> if anyone had ever hit the Flower Island. Flower Island sounds like the third world in like Super Mario for Super Nintendo. Like, can, can Luigi conquer Flower Island and rescue the princess? Like, he almost hit that. And then the Bryson shot... Was that like a chunk knuckle? I don't know what that was. Bryson said he like, didn't top it, and then later said like the driver, the the face of it cracked. Bryson, you toppled the ball like off a, the tee. That thing looked like a Tim Wakefield one two, two uh, two thousand four pitch on the outside corner off the face. I don't know what that was. And then Westwood hit it off the planet with his shot. That was poor, nuts. Poor Westwood. What's going on? I just tweeted I, the word what? Yeah, poor Westwood. I mean, it wasn't a good tee shot. But if he did that without the vacuum of the other couple of things happening, it's like, okay, he, you know, he sliced one off the, uh, off the fourth tee. You know, that wasn't good. But he it does like it the as the Buffalo third in a row, and we throw Westwood in with these, like, shots that we've never seen before. Bryson, by the way, on five, hit it 224 yards longer than he did on four. I need some sort of stat, the bounce-back driving stat on whether that's the longest, the biggest differential between drives that we've seen in a while. It was like the old Buffalo Wild Wings commercial where the guy hits the button to get them to go to <laughs> overtime and like the sprinklers pop up on the football field and trip the guy at the one yard line or whatever. Like it was like a, it was an unbelievable sequence. Yeah. I mean, just crazy. And I have a question for you later when we do our five questions kind of related to that, but um, just a crazy 20 minutes. It was the most, it was maybe the most entertaining stretch of the weekend and then you saw some beautiful shot making down the stretch but that part was just it was a reminder of just how difficult this game is yeah and, and we never see that that kind of stuff maybe on a thursday afternoon they go hey let's go to jones who's plus seven playing the 13th and you're like why are they shot oh that's why well, i mean 99 percent of golfers only are seen on golf telecast when they're playing their best yeah the exception being like the top guys in the world in the first two rounds but you never see like Martin Trainer scrapping out there off six straight MCs, you know, on a let's go live. We're going to follow every shot of Martin Trainer today. And sorry to pick on Martin Trainer. Every shot him. live. That's what every shot live means. We're going to start yeah, seeing it's these not things. Just, it's not just the opportunity to hear every player in the world curse uh, unknowingly, which they warned against. It's <laughs> the it's every shot, which hi, maybe one of the highlights of the weekend. Spieth accidentally hitting into Rory Sabatini, which I don't know if you saw that. I, I thought did, of it I and I was like, they're just like us. Like I've done that before on accident where I don't see the guy down in the fairway. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden you've got an angry dude on the next tee box that you got to apologize to. So, mm-hmm. um, and the, I, that was wild. The I, comments I between Spieth and Morikawa and their caddies were fantastic as well. So uh, yeah, the, if you want to watch that video, it's been taken down by the PGA tour and you can't, but mm. um, other than that, I thought it was, Uh, I thought it was great. So, yeah, let's get to those five questions. Five minutes, five questions you never asked. I got to be honest with you. I get a little irritated when somebody calls me away from my golf. This is Five Under. Um, Okay, let's get right out of the gates. We're going back to our guy, Lee Westwood, we talked about earlier. Former world number one, 25 European tour wins, but he's never won a major, a WGC, or a player's championship. So I want to ask you, whose career would you rather have, Lee Westwood or Graham McDowell? Graham McDowell, U.S. Open champion. He's got close to double-digit European tour wins. The big, the big one that McDowell has or Lee Westwood? Oh. We don't see these beforehand. This is off no. top. Yeah, I, no, this no is not something No research done beforehand. Planned. I will go Lee Westwood. I, I say all the time, like, look, big tournaments are great. We want to win – major championships, and, you know, everyone does. This is a job. This is employment. We're trying to pay the bills around here. Lee Westwood, I'm guessing, has made three times more than Graham McDowell in his career. At least, yeah. At least? I'd yeah. yeah. Give, me, give me the Benjamins. Okay, fair enough. I, you'll notice in who I picked, I did want to pick a one-time Masters winner mm-hmm. because you go back every year. Yeah. It feels like there might be more off-course earnings throughout your lifetime for being a one-time major winner who won the masters like a Lee Charles Westwood Wilson. versus Danny Willett could be a very different question than Lee Westwood against Graham McDowell. Right. Or like Mike Weir or somebody like that, like something yeah. that you think you could bank off of. Um, so same kind of vein, whose career would you rather have Lee Westwood? This is question number two, Lee Westwood or Louis Tazen? 
Louis oh, won at St. Andrews, won the Open Championship by seven shots. Mm-hmm. You and I were there. Uh, he's won the runner-up Grand Slam in the majors, an amazing achievement in and of itself. It's kind of like you know a little bridesmaid deal there. Westwood or Ustazen? Without having, I mean, I know their victory totals sort of, without having like career earnings and other. Usi's kind of Uzi's like ten years younger than Westwood too. So keep in mind, maybe some potential now, down the road. Though I think Louis Ustazen and, would rather drive his tractor on his farm. Yes. Well, and that's that was that's actually what I'm thinking about, which is now, am I just taking their careers and taking their numbers and picking one or the other, or am I inhabiting the bodies of either of these two men? I've always thought that Louis Ustazen's swing with my commitment for excellence would be a very nice combination. And I think nice that we could probably win some more titles. Um, it, basically what I'm saying, if I had Louis swing, I'd have six majors right now. Um, <laughs> Louis does not. And so I think Louis could use a little Sobel in him to help him out and get there. So I will take Louis Ustazen. Okay, nice. I, I think I'd answer the same way you did. I think I'd take Westwood over Graham. Graham's, I think Graham's had an awesome career for, for his skill set, too. A guy doesn't hit the ball very far. Yeah. Um, and that major win at Pebble Beach in retrospect, crazy week. I mean, I, I didn't mean to get on this tangent, but Tiger was right there. Ernie was in the mix. It was a really memorable day. And I think I'd take Ustazen over Westwood, too. And the so behind-the-scenes stuff for Graham's win was fantastic as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, question three. <laughs> Justin Thomas has now won 14 times on the PGA Tour. He's 27 years old. Dustin Johnson, 24 wins. 36 years old. Who ends up with more PGA Tour wins, Justin Thomas or Dustin Johnson? JT. Don't think it's close. Wow. Okay. You think so? DJ, I could see. I don't think anything's stopping him from getting to 30. 30 is mm-hmm. a big number. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you think Justin Thomas is not close? How old is JT? 29? 27. 27? JT. 27. Four guys have won. And this is my favorite note that I came up with all week. Four guys have won 14 times in the modern era before age 28. Jack Nicklaus, Johnny Miller, Tiger Woods, and Justin Thomas. You love those stats. You love the stats when it's, hey, look at the guy who won today, and here's a comparison, and Jack and Tiger are like the only other guys that did it. You love those. Love them. Absolutely. <laughs> That's the good Wasn't stuff. Right two weeks there. ago, you were doing the same stuff with, hey, here's Colin Morikawa. He was the only one to do this. And the other one, Tiger Woods. We're all about contextualizing the achievement in the moment, Jason. We're trying to put up, we're trying to paint a picture here. I have cracked the formula. What's man doing at this, at this rate in his career? All That's right. Good. Number four, on the heels of JT winning, if you had to rank the top three favorites for the Masters right now, who are they? And I'm happy to give you mine first if you'd like to think about it. Okay, so it's top three favorites, not yeah. my top three. Like, if I'm betting on it right now, not my top no, three bets. Just, just who you think are the top three on the board right now going into Augusta National. I still think DJ has to be number one. Same. I know he hasn't played great for two weeks, but he's shown that he can turn it around really, really quickly. So for I'm sure. not worried about DJ. He has to be at the top defending champ. JT moves into number two on my list. Same. Uh, Three is where it's interesting to me, I think. We're assuming that Brooks Kepka is still injured and may not play, and he's not. This is not. This is like real-world situation, not idealistic. Like, yeah. hey, everyone being okay. Tiger Woods, whatever. Yeah, yeah no, obviously, right. Obviously, okay. he won't be there. Um, uh, this, is where I, this is where I like the question, because I'm with you, too. I think the first two are pretty easy. My third guy is probably John Rahm based on how well he's played at the Masters in his career. And then I wrote that down, realized I just wrote down one, two, and three in the world ranking. Right. And I was very disappointed in myself. So, but that might be the answer. It might be the probably the the answer. I mean, I I can sit here and go contrarian and say Xander Shoffley. Xander hasn't won in, it's coming on two and a half years now. In a minute. Yeah. Ton of runner up finishes, a lot of world ranking points and money and all that. But and based on that, you certainly like I like Tony Finau a lot for this thing. Patrick Reed, I you know, I, and I've said you were it on the singing his already. praises a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I time. like I like Patrick Reed for the Masters. I think he's going to play really, really well there. I think he has a great chance to win. I want to bet on him right now. I haven't you, done it where yet. Where you got Jordan Speed? I, I like Speed. I there are three guys. Okay, so this is probably another question that you weren't going to ask me, but. <laughs> Well, no, my next 
next one is about it involves the phrase chunk knuckle metal wood. So no. Okay. Um, the three guys that if this question was a little different, and I'll answer a totally different question. Uh, if you had to put futures bets on three players for the Masters right now, who would it be? I'm going Reed, Spieth, and probably Jason Day. Ooh. Okay. Jason Day finally getting healthy and putting yeah. some numbers He's together like that make him look very like a like sneakily good numbers and good results. Maybe that's the next, you know, former number one major champion renaissance type we that we see later yeah. in the year that we kind of saw with Jordan. Um, all right, that's a good call. I gave you my top three. I think that's a that's a good list. Xander's interesting. Finau's interesting. And I'd love to see where Jordan Spieth ends up by the time we get there, especially mm-hmm. if he picks off a win between now and then, because then I think it gets even more binding. Jordan Spieth, second all-time in strokes gained per round at the Masters. He trails only Ben Hogan. Tiger Woods is third. Uh, number five, Sunday in the span of 10 minutes, as we talked about, Brendan Todd nearly hit Flower Island and Bryson hit a chunk knuckle metal wood. I think I want to call it that. I like that phrase off yeah. the tee. What is the single worst shot you can remember in championship golf? I'm not talking oh, like no. Vandeveld's collapse or anything like that. Not in the moment, just the worst golf shot you can remember in a, in championship golf, big time tournament golf. Oh, I'm sure there are so many of them. People are going to like write to us and tweet at us and say, how did you miss so let this? Me, yeah, let me give you a few okay. of mine because I figured that'll spark some memories. Okay. Uh, Webb Simpson shank at the Masters four yeah. or five years ago. He used to that shank was, all the time. Oh, rem- just a remarkable moment. Just yeah. a world-class player, and you see it, and you're like, they're, they're like us sometimes. Uh, there was an event in Europe a few years ago where Sergio hit a terrible drive, took off his shoe, and threw it into the crowd. I encourage anyone out there to Google Sergio throws shoe into the crowd. Incredible moment. Um, the TC Chen double hit at the 85 U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that goes into it. That's more conditions and brutal rough and everything. Um, I'm thinking more lighthearted fair, like when Zach Johnson accidentally hit his ball with a practice swing mm-hmm. at the Masters a couple of years ago. Yeah, I'm going to go. This is a personal question, so I'm going to put a personal slant on it. Okay, I like it. This is probably about eight years ago, and I don't believe that the branch is still there, the limb of the tree, but the sixth hole at TPC Sawgrass, which we just spent all weekend watching, used to have this limb that would go across the tee box, where I used to look at it and go, if I was playing from this tee box, I would hit that thing every single time. Like, it's right, it's the exact trajectory of where my drive would be, and these guys just walk up there and like, I'll hit it under, I'll hit it over. Like what, like they didn't even see well, it. I'm going to hit it. Cause it's the one branch, right? I always used to stand there behind the six T box and go, the thing, it's not like a, like a little twig. Like that's a big, like there's a huge log that goes across. It's 15 yards up in the air or 10 yards up in the air. It's right there. And like, you're going to hit it. It's 20 yards in front of the, uh, the teen ground. And so I was out there once pondering this very question. As Ernie Els, of all people, standing there, takes a swing, and it hits that limb and goes about 40 yards behind him and to the right. And so I looked later, Ernie's, like, his driving distance was like negative 37 yards on that hole. And it's a, whatever it is, a 410-yard hole that played 440 with his second shot in. That's incredible. And the look on Ernie's face, I mean, this was as he was kind of just morphing into, you know, I don't give a crapness towards the end of his career. And I mean, I love we're, uh, we're going from championship contender to ceremonial slash senior. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I don't think his score was great at that point in the round, whenever it was. And the look on his face was just like, what the hell am I doing out here? Why is that thing there? What, why is my ball over the, come on. Like just, the same I've had a that you and I have for two decades. Face. Why am I going back to hit this second shot? Really? <laughs> yeah, like exactly. Like I, I'm Ernie Els. I'm going backwards to hit this. This is so embarrassing. But like, it's not my fault. It's that damn limb's fault. The limb is hanging over the tee. That's not I. Nah. So yeah. Exact yeah. same mind state I would have. Like facing that, be like, okay, this is the one branch. Like when you're trying to punch out and there's one branch in the way or whatever, I'm gonna hit the one branch. Just you know, that's what's in my head the negative thought and then invariably that's what happens. So yeah. So good answer. I like it. I figured you'd give me a, some good, you know, personal history, there, experience, you know, and, you know, I, I dug 
a little bit. The Sergio throwing his shoe into the crowd is one of the good, funniest good. things I've ever seen on a golf course. But um, what? Yeah, how did he the, get? It? I mean, crazy I just, couple minutes yesterday. Should I Google a video? Like, how does he get the shoe back? Does he play with one? I shoe? I don't know. I, you never find that out. He rips the shoe off, throws it behind him into the crowd. I don't know if it's because the shoe he slipped or whatever it might be, but. You got everybody out there. Sergio throws shoe into crowd. Just Google that and watch the video. It's kind of grainy European tour footage from years back, but an amazing moment. I mean, I'm feeling like he got up to the green though. He's like, I see this going a little left. Well, you're only wearing one shoe. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Great questions this week. Um, We're going to talk about the Honda in just a second. Before we move on here, we want to tell you about our friends at Athletic Brewing Company, makers of America's most flavorful non-alcoholic beer. Ah, oh, that's not a sound effect. I really just opened one. We're out here in March Madness. This is our favorite time of year. So if you're looking to take it easy on the booze this March and just focus on celebrating the season, do some good, wholesome gambling, Athletic Brewing's award-winning beers are a great option because for years now, Athletic Brewing has been making great-tasting beers that celebrate the innovation of great craft beer, but without the alcohol. So if you want to support this show, head to athleticbrewing.com, check out their selection and place an order using code ACTION15. This gets new customers 15% off their first order. And if you order two or more six packs, shipping is always free. That's athleticbrewing.com. Use the code ACTION15 on that first order and enjoy great taste while keeping your gambling edge. Sounds good. I like it. I'm in. Nice. Uh, all right, let's get to the Honda. We have got uh, six players in the top 50 who are at PGA National this week, a stark contrast from what's uh, a somewhat star-studded event on most years. So it's Daniel Berger. to dig deep, isn't it? You, I know or you, you know love it, these weeks. I love these weeks. And Kyung Hung Lee around the strokes gain around the green numbers, you know, trying to find an edge. This is, <laughs> this is our kind of weeks. So Daniel Berger opens up as the favorite right behind him. Sungjae Im, Joaquin Neiman, uh, Im at 1,300, uh, Neiman at 2,000, uh, 20 to 1. Uh, Lee Westwood, plus 2,250, Russell Henley, Adam Scott at 30 to 1, Taylor Gooch. Never thought we'd see Taylor Gooch at 35 to 1, Shane Lowry at 35 to 1, and on and on and on. Um, Maybe some very interesting names here. <laughs> Uh, this is a very interesting board. This is not, I, if this event was played a month ago, none of these odds would be what they are right now. And so it just goes to show you the changing marketplace all the time. Uh, let's start at the top. To me, there are really probably uh, six guys at the top of this thing. Berger, M. Neiman, Westwood, Henley, and Scott, who are, you know, sort of the cream of the crop in this one. I, I'm not sure where I got, I, I might go Adam Scott if I had to take just one guy, especially at the number he's at. Adam Scott at a price three times bigger than Daniel Berger feels like a pretty good bargain there. Yeah, terrific numbers on this golf course. One here a couple years ago. Uh, He's the only player with four or more birdies per round at PGA National over the last five years. So that gives you some positive vibes going forward. Um, Hopefully you can replicate that. Uh, Had some good ball striking moments last week at TPC Sawgrass. Hit those three great approach shots. Thursday, Friday, Saturday at 17. Um, but some good numbers for Adam Scott. If I'm going at the top of the board, I'm probably leaning towards Joaquin Neiman. Sneakily mm. really consistent this year. Um, his iron play has been really good. Top 20 in strokes gained approach since the beginning of last year. Uh, he's made every cut this season. He's third on tour in birdie average, fifth in scoring average. Among those guys at the top, I know that seems like a – that's a tough number probably for Joaquin Neiman, but on a difficult golf course, I think that's the guy I'm going to pick among – among those, you know, those top ranked guys. Yeah. I've seen some love for Neiman already. I liked him a lot last week. He was sort of my, you know, not so sleepy sleeper pick going into last week. I I thought that uh, he could go out and contend, never really played great. The numbers were okay. I mean, you look at the numbers across the board, the putting numbers are actually what gives me a little reason for optimism moving forward. His record here is not great. I believe he had a 59th and a missed cut, but at this point in his career, I really don't look too much at, past results for Neiman because he's matured so much in the past year anyway that it just doesn't matter a whole lot. Uh, Berger obviously has grown up here. He's really good. He's been playing well. I don't know that he picks off another win as quickly as this, though. Just won at Pebble not that long ago. Sungjae Im, based on – I wonder what the number would have been on Sungjae if 
he had posted, I, I think on Saturday, what did he shoot? 78, something like that. He went 66, 77, 66, his last three rounds. If that last round was another 77, instead of 13 to one, what do you think his number is this week? I mean, based on the strength of field, maybe he might be around the 18 to one, maybe. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Like, Just because he posted a really nice final round, it lowered his price a lot. So if you do like Sungjae to repeat, and I usually don't love guys to repeat, if you like him, then you're, you know, you're ruining the fact that in that final round, he went low on Sunday because that kind of hurt his number going into this. Like I said, Lee, Lee Westwood always plays well Has a nice record here. He's, he's, he's running hot. And if you're, if you're looking for a guy who just doesn't seem like he'd be wiped out, after a few weeks of contending, it's Lee Westwood who, yeah, you know, looks like he's just playing golf like the rest of us. Like, yeah, I'm on vacation. Yeah, golf seems nice, you know, just hitting some balls out here, playing pretty if well. If there's anything as back to back low impact 54 hole leads, that's almost what that felt like. Yeah. Time yeah. Very good point. So, yeah. and, and like we talked about, his iron numbers have been outstanding the last couple of weeks, hit more greens than anybody at Bay Hill and the players combined. Um, nearly led the field both weeks in a row in that statistic. So, um, one of the numbers that I'm leaning to most this week. Strokes gained approach is just – it plays an enormous role on this golf course. In terms of the average ranking of winners at the Honda Classic, it's an average of about seven spots better than the PGA Tour average, which is a giant, giant swing there. So I'm trying to look more and more at strokes gained approach numbers. The other key statistic I came across, and this is a little bit reminiscent of what happened at Bay Hill a few weeks ago, um, there are more approach shots on this golf course – between 175 and 200 yards over the last five years mm. than in any other course on the PGA tour. So it's not quite as dramatic as that Bay Hill number where the, all the approach shots came from outside 200, but it's just something to keep an eye on in terms of guys who are better with the mid-level to, uh, to longer irons going into greens. Some notable guys who are really good in that range the last two seasons. Uh, Sepp Straka is fourth, Grayson Murray fifth. Neiman, the guy I talked about, is ninth in proximity to the hole from that range since the beginning of last season. I'd always looked at par four scoring average here as well, hmm. um, which I think because there are only two par fives that that plays a big thing into it. Are there any stats? So I know you probably get asked this question a lot, and I want to know if you've found anything that correlates really well other than just trying to pick out specific rounds and trying to cherry pick here and there. But are there any stats, any kind of analytics that we can look at and say, hey, I want a guy who's a good win player. How do you find that? Good win player. That's, that's really interesting. That's probably one of the more tougher things to quantify. I think if you're pretty good with your long irons, that's a good indication of a guy who's able to control his ball flight. And that'd be indicative of somebody who's successful in the win. Um, overall though, we're kind of relying on, man, those guys from Texas, they're great in the wind because it's windy there. And that always makes my eyes roll because I'm from Houston, the biggest city in the state and it's not windy in Houston. So <laughs> anyway, but, but usually you're, or maybe like Aussies they'll say are, are, are yeah. great out of the wind or the, the thing you always hear about Spanish guys, uh, the guys from Spain being great uh, sand players or great short games or whatever. It is. Uh-huh. So you're instead of relying on those kind of colloquial conversational type things. Um, I think maybe, it's a great question. Um, and if you want to take it out of that kind of conversational form, I think guys who are better with their long irons are typically ones who are able to control their ball flight. And that's indicative of success in the win. Okay. Well, I don't know if you're busy at all, but I'd like a complete dissertation on mm. uh, rounds over the past two years where wins were at least 15 miles an hour during the round. And then let's break down scoring averages and strokes gain numbers. Mm. And let's get some yeah. real data here. Good. I don't have a lot going on, so it's, it's good that you'll throw that my way, and you know I'll have it on your desk in the morning, Mister Sobel. Uh, thank you. Uh, TPS reports as well. So, uh, yeah. I look. I I am going to start off sort of this mid tier with uh, my favorite play this week, who I like in part because he plays really well in strong winds, and he plays well in strong winds because he's from Ireland, Northern Ireland, a place where uh, they have a lot of strong winds. Shane Lowry at thirty-five to one. A lot of things going his way right now. Eighth place at TPC Sawgrass this past weekend. He's figured out, he explained during, during the course of the tournament, figured out his putting stroke. I believe he went from left-hand low to right-hand low for the first time, I think, if I was reading it correctly. Uh, he's going, uh, and should be right now as we're recording this, to Augusta National with Lee Westwood, but it's not the Lee Westwood part that really makes me like Lowry a lot. It's the fact that Lowry's coach is going with them as well. And so... Spending two days with your coach at Augusta National 
can't be a bad thing going into Honda. He also happens to live five minutes away from PGA national and he really likes it there and likes the golf course. So that's a lot of things going his way for this week. Uh, what do you think of Lowry? And uh, I'll give you a couple other names before, uh, before I kick it to you, just guys in this sort of mid tier. So we're going from 35 to one to let's say 80 to one. Uh, I'll just go through a few names that I like. Brendan Steele is a guy that um, I've spent some time with at the Honda over the years. He has a really good track record there. I did like Gary Woodland, but Gary Woodland is now WD'd uh, due to a positive COVID test. So he's not in there. I love Matt Wallace this week, T18 at the Arnold Palmer Invitational a couple of weeks ago. He will be a popular play in my household this week. Dylan Fratelli played really well on Sunday. I've been looking for Dylan Fratelli to start doing something this year. So maybe that propels him to bigger and better things. And I'll give you one more name here, Alex Norin. Actually, I lied. I'll give you two names. Alex Norin at 70 to 1. He was T12 at Riviera a few weeks ago. Uh, At TBC Sawgrass, really bad the first round, but second round shot 70. Still missed the cut, but the ball striking numbers were much better. And the last name in that that range, and I was hoping for a bigger number, but 70 to 1, Brandon Wu has been really good when he's played. He's still a corn fairy guy but he's in this field based on the fact that he was T7 in Puerto Rico a few weeks ago. This kid can go. And the the better part about it, and you talked about this being a ball strikers golf course, Brandon Wu is a ball striker. Wu is a guy whose name tends to pop up when I'm sorting out best stats since X before I put the minimum rounds thing in. And then and then I've got to I've got to sift him out, but he pops up there a lot. I love the Lowry pick. I think that's great inside a little information that he lives right next to the golf course too. Even without knowing that, I like him a lot. Matt Wallace is a guy who's I'm very high on this week as well. Top 20 at Bay Hill. Top 20 finished two years ago at this event. Limited action, but he's 12th on the PGA Tour this season in strokes gained approach, which, like I said, I love that statistic as an indicator of success this week. One guy who's in that middle range who's not a very good putter, and he would admit to that himself and had a terrible moment with an mm. enormous score at TPC Sawgrass last week. Ben on has played here three times. He has two top five finishes. He leads all players in strokes gained T to green here the last five years. He's in the top five in strokes gained total here the last five years per round. It's a course that plays to his immense ball striking strengths, and strokes gained putting is not typically as important here. I think it's because players tend to miss more greens than normal, so approach play is paramount, but then you've also got – a little bit more of an importance on short game and less importance on the putter. Um, I think that Ben on is a guy who's going to put himself in a position to make a bunch of birdies, whether or not those putts fall, that's another question altogether, but a Ben on at 66 to one with that course history and that ball striking ability. I think he's interesting. I'm probably going to put money on him to top 10 at the minimum. I might have a flyer on him to win as well. So uh, he's those Wallace and on were the two guys I circled in that range. And I really like Lowry a lot too, this week, based on how he performed, especially on the weekend at uh, TPC Sawgrass. Yeah, we're, we're definitely in unison there. I, I had been on in my preview this week as my karma play first round leader. He shot 83 in the opener at TPC Sawgrass. Let's knock uh, 18 or so off of that. Get him to a 65 at PGA national on Thursday. Let's uh, move this thing a little bit lower. Um, I mean, there's some guys, there's some big numbers on some guys. The one that struck me, and I get it, he's not playing well, and I'm not going to bet him, probably. But Henrik Stenson at 250 to 1. I mean, he's still Henrik Stenson. I get that he hasn't made a cut yet this year, but he's Henrik Stenson. He's looked really bad. I don't think he's going to win. I don't think he's going to do much. I'm not going to load up on him in uh, DFS lineups, but he's still Henrik Stenson. He's, he's behind a lot of guys that haven't done anything close to what Henrik Stenson has done in this game. So uh, that's at least a name there for you. Two guys that I think are going to be off the radar, really uh, sort of low-end DFS plays that are going to be uh, low-owned. Cameron Percy, who is the oldest first-timer in the players' field last week. He's had, I believe, three top 30 finishes in his last four starts. And then another guy that, and again, we don't have the stats that necessarily tell us this, but I feel like when conditions are tougher, when the wind is blowing, Tyler Duncan tends to show up on certain, on certain days when, when it is a little bit harder. And so, yeah, I'll have them in some DFS lineups again, maybe a top 20 type play, like I wrote in my preview this week. So anyone down there on the list that uh, you think could be a decent play this week? Well, Professor Sobel, once you get my dissertation tomorrow, you'll be able to validate your Tyler Duncan hunch. Um, 
I'm going to go back to a guy I briefly mentioned a minute ago, Sepp Straka. I mm-hmm. think he's a good pick for a first-round lead solely because I'm going off of that 175 to 200 yards being a more important approach shot. Over the last two seasons, he ranks fourth on the PGA Tour from 175 to 200 in approach shot proximity from that range. So I'm going to pick him to be – I'll put some on him to be a first-round leader. He's kind of interesting. Stenson is interesting, too. I know you said he's Henrik Stenson. I know, and he was awful last week at TPC Sawgrass. But when you think about what Henrik Stenson has been great at throughout his career, you think mid to long irons and that three wood, right? And yeah. what better yeah. place is he going to be able to find it, a course that would fit it, than a place that is very demanding and, and of those types of skill sets? And, and that's what the Honda Classic will provide. So um, he's interesting at that number simply because of what he's accomplished in his career and how far down he is. Um, Henrik Norlander was another guy I looked at, a guy who had some success on a difficult golf mm-hmm. course at uh, Torrey Pines earlier in the year. It hasn't played as well the last couple of weeks, so it may not be worth the flyer, but he's down there on the list. Um, and Harold Varner III, another guy who's pretty solid iron player, good iron play metrics through the bag this season especially. Um, hasn't had – I think it's like 10 straight rounds in the 70s for Harold. He hasn't put one in the 60s together in a little while. But this is a course where if you keep putting yourself in consistent position, make a ton of pars, not make too many mistakes, I wouldn't be surprised if he finished in the top 10 this week. All right, three more. I said I was done. The bottom of the board is just too. Well, we're just gonna fill you. Just give you something on everybody in the field. Every every guy. No, I'm just I'm going to (laughs) Tyler McCumber, who's played well lately. He played well at Riviera. Played pretty well last week. He was top thirty, and then two win specialists of varying degrees. Andrew Landry. Anyone who wins the Texas Open can play in some wind. Andrew Landry can play in some wind, and this guy uh, Padraig Harrington. Does he play well in wind? I don't know. Has he had any experience? I think he's been known to a time or two. 250 to one. Padraig Harrington. He's won the winner here. Before. Beat, then he beat, he beat Daniel Berger in a beat playoff. Berger. I think that they ended on playoff. Monday. Yep. Okay. Uh, uh, I like it. Maybe. I mean, Vijay Singh nearly won this golf tournament a couple years ago. Veteran ball striker with, with success, you know, seemingly out of nowhere. Uh, I think he was he was in contention coming down the stretch, the back nine on Sunday. I kept waiting for him to fall away. So yeah. maybe you see a, a Stinson or a Harrington in that kind of category succeed this week. This is Action Network podcast producer Matt Mitchell here to tell you our friends at BetMGM have a great new sign-up offer for our listeners, a $600 risk-free first bet. Here's how it works. If you don't already have an account at BetMGM, just sign up, make your first deposit, and place that initial wager. If the bet wins, you get all the money. If it doesn't win, BetMGM will refund you in free bets up to $600. It's that simple. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. BetMGM has been a great podcast partner, and they've got all the features gamblers like us love, like live betting and daily odds boosts, Plus, they're compatible with BetSync, so when you place a wager at BetMGM, that bet can automatically be tracked in your action app. So open an account today and make your first bet risk-free up to $600. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Michigan, New Jersey, Colorado, Indiana, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Tennessee, Nevada, or Pennsylvania. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, or 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. BetSync not available in Nevada. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. Let's get to our DFS lineup. As always, we go to DraftKings and we go back and forth and pick six players for our ultimate DFS lineup. And then we collect our money at the end of the week. It's just that easy. Want to be a DFS millionaire? You're just one lineup away. We're going to go nose to nose with him. And you're going to play better than you ever dreamed of. Because God damn it, that's what I demand of you. So let's get drafting. Uh, Jay Ray, why don't you start us off and uh, give me your, your first pick? Okay. I'm going to go with Joaquin Neiman out of the gate. I'll spend some money. Give us a, he's the base guy for us this week. Um, I mentioned his really good approach play numbers, top 20 on the PGA Tour and strokes can approach since the beginning of last season. I think it's remarkable. This young guy hasn't missed a cut going back to the beginning of the season in the fall. Um, I think he's primed for success. This feels like a week where he could have a big breakthrough and pick up win number two, pick up a, a easily the biggest win of his young career. I'm going to start us off with Joaquin Neiman out of the gates. All right. If you're spending money, I'll spend money because I do think there are a lot of 
uh, lower price guys we can go after. Uh, I said I like Shane Lowry a lot. He's my favorite play. You like Shane Lowry. That's enough for me. 9,200. Lock him in. Okay. I like it. Uh, we'll save a little money with my next pick. Talked about him earlier. One of the best on the PGA Tour since the beginning of last season. Proximity from 175 to 200. I think he can go out and make a bunch of birdies on this golf course. Seems like a little bit of a gamble because he doesn't have awesome form or a lot of history to go back on. But let's go with Sepp Straka, 6,700. I think he's good, a good value at that price, especially with that skill set coming into this golf course. All right. You saved us some money there, and I'm confident we can save some more money. So I'm going to spend a little bit more here, not too much. But uh, I saw you nodding your head on our Zoom call as I was mentioning Matt Wallace's name. And uh, he's a guy that tends to play well in tough conditions. We expect it to be tough. I would not be surprised to see Matt Wallace win this golf tournament. He's, uh, he's a very talented player. At some point, everything connects for him in one of these sort of one-off PGA Tour events that he's been playing every once in a while over the past couple of years. So at 8,500, I think Matt Wallace is a really nice play. Okay, I like it. I'll save us some money here, leave you with some change in your back pocket, going with pick number six. This is a veteran player, multiple major champion, who has not missed a cut yet this season on the PGA Tour. Hmm. Been manufacturing some really good rounds. He's been really close to missing the cut several times. He's made it by one or two shots on several occasions. I think Zach Johnson can manufacture a ma- uh, some make the right decisions, stay out of trouble. A guy who's 11 for 11 making cuts this season, $7,400. I'm going to pick Zach Johnson here on a difficult golf course. Okay. I don't necessarily dislike that. So, yeah, Zach Johnson there. What a vote um, of encouragement. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. I don't love the Zach Johnson play. What do you want from me? But uh, No, that's fine. I, I'm just messing with you, man. I, when I, I can either say I like that play or I don't dislike that play. Uh, that's the backhanded <laughs> compliment of For our sure. DFS lineup. <laughs> Uh, all right. I've got the two guys I like near the top. We got 7,800 left. Um, Brandon Wu and Alex Norin. I've got the unproven commodity who's hungry to go out there and play. I've got the proven commodity who's not one on the PGA tour yet in the U S which one of those you like better. Brandon Wu feels like a Keith Mitchell ish breakthrough. Like we had a few years ago, the Honda classic. That's and he's, he's a talented guy. I mean, like you said, he's, He's got some in his limited action on the PGA Tour. Got a lot of great numbers. I'm looking at this DraftKings list here. 80 fantasy points per start. I mean, that's that's pretty damn good. I think I, I'll I'll go with the unproven commodity. Why not? I mean, looking back, so he was seventh as I mentioned at the Puerto Rico Open. Before that, these are all Corn Ferry starts. He was second, tenth, 129th. Don't take him in Wichita. First, 58th, second, 70th, 44th, ninth. I mean, this guy. He can play. I mean, this is just not a one-off. Like he got lucky in Puerto Rico and happened to finish in seventh and got into this one. This kid can play. So uh, that is our lineup. Zach Johnson, Shane Lowry, Joaquin Neiman, Sepp Straka, Matt Wallace, Brandon Wu. That is as eclectic a lineup as you can get, which is absolutely perfect for the Honda Classic, which is bound to have an eclectic leaderboard, as it always does. Should play tough there. I can't wait for this week. There were reports It's changed a little bit since then, but there were reports Sunday evening when I looked at the weather, 38 mile per hour gusts on Sunday afternoon for this thing. This could be so much fun. Cannot wait for the Honda Classic to get going. For Justin Ray from the 15th Club, I'm Jason Sobel from Golf Bet. Thanks so much for listening. For listening to the Action Network podcast, good luck with all your bets this week. Here's hoping you hit the green. We're finished talking.